Welcome once again, everybody. Mike Claiborne here at ClaibsOnline.com. And as always, we love talking to the president and chairman of Ameren, Illinois. He is Richard Mark. And Richard, first of all, spring has obviously sprung. And if you know anything about the St. Louis and Southern Illinois area, that means storms are coming at some point. And I know Ameren has always been on top of trying to make sure they provide their customers with the best service and, and keeping them connected. So for you guys with Mother Nature here and bringing thunderstorms that I'm sure we'll see down the road, we've got our fingers crossed so far. Uh, what, what about how Ameren looks at the response process? Because there are a lot of things, a lot of moving parts that take place when it comes to making sure customers are provided with energy, but also making sure it's done safely. Well, you know, that's a good point, Mike. Um, we actually started February. We, we actually start uh, spring preparedness for storms. And so we have simulations. We'll walk through, uh, you know, our service territory goes all the way up to Galesburg, Illinois, and all the way to the most southern tip of the state, almost to the Kentucky border. So we plan for each of those various areas. We have scenarios that if you have a storm of a certain size, uh, wind gust of say 60 to 70 miles an hour, we can assess, we have some analytical tools that tell us what kind of damage that could possibly do. So we'll run simulations and, and we'll be able, and we also employ a contract with several weather service uh, organizations that we bring down in to help give us this data. And then we look at what do we need if the storm hit this area? What do we need, you know, if the storm hits the various areas across the 44,000 square miles that we serve? And then we have to, we have a logistics team, and our logistics team starts making uh, contracts with uh, all the services that we'll need in case of a storm. You know, for example, we had a storm uh, two weeks ago, and uh, in the in the central part of the state, in Decatur, Lincoln, Illinois area, we had 500 workers there. So when 500 workers are resp- responding to a storm, it's our responsibility to take care of their daily needs. So they need lunch, they need breakfast, they need lunch, they need dinner. They may have to have hotels because we have people coming in from not only all over the state of Illinois, but from the Midwest. So we have to have hotels. So we have contract agreements. Uh, We'll go out and we make contract agreements with hotels across the state, with caterers to deliver the food. uh, Because, you know, these guys, they don't, they can't, they don't have the time to go out and find a restaurant. We have to bring them the food to the job site, have it prepared. And so that means providing them with healthy, nutritious meals three times a day, making sure they got uh, regular drinks and water and, and sports drinks as well as coffee uh, so that they can they put in about 12 hours a day repairing. And uh, all of that part goes into storm preparation. So we, we go through, we make sure we got everything covered. We walk through it. Uh, just like it was a real um, storm event. And then uh, hopefully when the storms come, we're fully prepared for whatever may uh, may hit us. Well, let's throw the 500-pound gorilla in the room now with COVID-19 and, and the impact it obviously is having on everyone. What about the social distancing aspect and, and how you guys are able to still respond and, and making sure, again, that your people are safe and they're able to do their job without, you know, getting in a position where it's going to cost them more than just their time? Right. Well, that's a great point, because that that, that was a, a big factor in this year's preparedness. And so we're looking at how do you have protective equipment for all of those workers that are out in the field? So we had to make sure we had a proper eye eyewear. We had to make sure we had proper uh, face masks for them. 
uh, rubber gloves, and then make sure they maintain the social distancing. And that was uh, uh, one of the interesting things that was really good that we planned because you had, you know, some situations and if you have a cross arm on a pole that breaks, those cross arms are six to eight feet long. Those are the long beams you see across the top of a pole. Uh, Usually it takes two people to make that repair. And so in the case of COVID, what we did and maintain social distancing, you would have instead of a guy, a uh, truck that came out of three people, you would have two crews of three and then one man in the bucket truck and you'd send two trucks for that job. So one guy would have one, would take uh, one side of the pole, the other guy would have the other side and they could then use their equipment to basically hold that uh, cross arm in place until one of them were able to insert the bolts and tighten it on the pole. So what you basically could do is, you know, it, it took more people to do the job, uh, but we're doing the most important thing is to do the job safely. And so by using more equipment, more people, we we're able to get the job done and get it done safely by maintaining those social uh, distances of six feet. And so we actually practiced some of this before the storm even happened. And so the crews would understand how it was important to do it and how many people would be needed and having the proper equipment to do it when you had those jobs that would require more than one person. And and, and normally you would have two people working close together under the storm and COVID-19 protocols. You had more people maintaining that social distancing and making sure you had the proper uh, protective equipment on when you did it. Now, you know, I've heard a lot about this emergency operations center. They tell me it's pretty elaborate, almost as elaborate as like when you see the Kennedy Space Center and they, they're putting a man on the moon or something. Your your room is as, as elaborate as that. So give us an idea of how it actually works, because you just touched on a lot of things with respect to the logistics and, and how you prepare. But you've obviously got to have that one command center where you can make sure everybody's on the same page. So walk me through it. Well, you know, you uh, you kind of described it exactly how it looks. It looks like a war room uh, where you see at the, space, at the Kennedy Space Center, everyone's sitting in front of a monitor watching what's going on. It, it looks very similar to that. We have our entire 44,000 square miles of all of our circuits uh, that are on our system in the state of Illinois and on computers. And we have what we call dispatchers and controllers who are looking at that. And so before anyone goes up on a pole and touches one of those wires, we have a series of protocols that before anyone goes up on a pole or gets near an energized line, the emergency operation center controllers will be able to verify that that line is not energized. And so it's a three, it has a three verification processes. So you have to look at three different protocols before anyone can go on the pole. And so that, Emergency Operations Center acts as kind of a central command center, and everything is dictated from there. They tell the crews the crews that are out in the field where to go, where the switches are, where the main breakers are to go to to de-energize the line, and then they verify that that line is closed. And they're able to, to basically tell, um, you know, five, six, seven hundred people that are working out in the field exactly where to go to make the proper uh, repairs to get our system back on in a storm situation. And that works for the gas as well as for the electric side of our business. And we have three of those command centers that are around the state. 
Uh, this time we didn't use them because of COVID-19 protocols. We actually had it operated remotely. We did a virtual center and all of our controllers and dispatchers were able to actually operate from their home and look mm. at the system, be able to monitor our whole electric infrastructure for the state of Illinois on a real-time basis and communicate with our crews. So it was a pretty elaborate process. And, uh, you know, sometime when we have a storm, I'd love to, to have you come down and look at one of our, uh, our command centers and let you see just how it works. Because you would think it looks like a war room or something like that you'd see in a movie. Uh, you know what? I'm going to take you up on that. Uh, we we got to make sure we have a real big storm, though. So you, we got to get a heads up on it. But, yeah, I, I will take you up on that. Now, here's... No, I'm going to take it to a small storm. I don't want real big storms. <laughs> yeah, we, that, don't, that's, we don't want that's, any big That's a good storm. point. That's a good point, which leads me to my next question, because when there is a power outage, and, and I know that there was a time when people had no idea when their power was going to be restored, um, there are different methods now that people can find out where you are, as you just mentioned, what areas you're in and the, you know, the estimated time and when you think you might be up, you can you go by your phone and you can go on your laptop. There's a lot of different ways, but there's always that question about who gets their power restored first. And, and what's the protocol on that? And how do you determine who is served first compared to the, the, the central areas opposed to the outlying areas where maybe it, it's harder to get to? So how does that actually work? Well, you know, sometimes people think when you, you talk about the outlying areas and, you know, they say, well, I don't see a truck here, so how do I know you're storing my power? Well, you know, I talk about that command center, and that's a good point that you brought that up first, because that command center is looking at the whole system. You know, you may have an outage at your house, and the problem that caused that outage could be miles away from you. And so what we do is when we have a, 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 an outage like this, what we look do is basically look at, Anything that is life-threatening first, you know, if there's a fire, if there's uh, energized wires down, or if it's a, a gas leak uh, that's blowing gas, anything that's an emergency situation that's a threat to the public, uh, we respond to those first. And, you know, then we respond to hospitals and those type of emergency, what we call emergency infrastructures. So we get the police, we make sure the police stations are up and functional, the fire departments are up, up and functional, and the hospitals and, and healthcare facilities are up, up and functional. Then once we have that critical infrastructure secure, we start looking on, we look at how to get the most customers on first. And so that control center that I talked about earlier, it can look and say, well, this area is got has 2,500 customers out, and it's because this one substation is out of power. So we go to that substation first because we know if we fix that substation, we get 2,500 people on at the same time. And then we just work our way down. You look at substations first because they get the most people on. Uh, during this storm a couple of weeks ago, we had a substation out that basically uh, not just got, didn't just get 2,500 out. It got 25,000 people on by making one repair. And so you go from substations first down to the transformers. So maybe at the, on your block, you see a transformer on a pole or a transformer that sits in the yard. Those transformers can have anywhere from a couple hundred to a thousand to twelve hundred people on. We fix those transformers next. And, our, and on our computer systems of our system, we can tell if the problem is at that transformer level or if it's on your, your service line. 
And so the next step would be the, the, the individual customer. And so say that, you know, everything is fine with the substation, with the transformer, the distribution line that comes to your house, but maybe that tree in your front yard fell down on your supply line. And that's the line that's coming off the street, the, off the street into your, that attaches to your house. Maybe that's fine. Those are the last repairs because if we fix that line, the only people to get, they're only one person that's going to get on on over one house. So we start with where we can get the most customers on first, and we just kind of work our way down to those single, what we call single outages, uh, those who end up getting last. But what we find in the storm, many of them are the substations first, so you can get big groups on, and then the distribution uh, lines, the poles that are out front that, that carry anywhere from a 1,000 to several thousand customers. And uh, we can tell how many customers are served on that circuit, and we just make sure that we get we go by the circuit. So it doesn't matter what your address is. We don't look at addresses until we get to the singles. But what we look at is the circuits, and we can tell how many customers are on are off on that individual circuit. And so those most heavily populated circuits get on first, and the the, the less populated uh, are the ones that usually get on uh, at a later time. Richard Mark, the chairman and president of Amron, Illinois, is our guest. And Richard, uh, you know, technology has really driven this industry a great deal where people are more informed. What's, what's the biggest change you've seen since you've come on board with Amron? Because we, we see a lot of things take place. And as we talk about uh, being uh, having your power restored, there was a time when the phone would melt because people would call. Hey, what, what's going on? What's going on? And as I mentioned earlier, there's so many ways to access when, where, and how it's going to be repaired. But what have you seen to be the biggest advantage customers now deal with compared to, let's say, yesteryear? Yeah, I would say uh, there's two two things. One is automatic, automated switching. Uh, we have installed over the last eight years switches on our circuits, Illinois and Missouri. And uh, so, for example, if you have a branch that falls on your on your line, these automated switches can basically uh, sense that they'll try to open and close as they can clear the branch off the line or they can clear the fault and they will close back in. Blink uh, once or twice and stay on and then they'll blink three times and stay off. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had that happen? I have. And people say, well, what's wrong? Well, that means that you have an automated switch that's working. So what happened is something hit that line, usually it's a tree limb, and that automated switch will will sense that there's something wrong, and it'll try to reclose that line to restore your power. And often, usually about 75% of the time, that recl- what we call recloser or that switch can change the either it can clear the line for you or it can close that line or open it and open let power flow a different way to maintain your power. All of that is done, can be done through automation now versus having someone, you call in, you tell us the outage, we have someone drive out there, they drive up and down the street and find out where the problem is, then they get up on a pole and fix it, that could take hours. All of that can be done now and the repair and the switch made uh, in a matter of minutes or seconds in some cases. Uh, so automated switching has made a big difference. Uh, on on uh, our ability to restore power faster. And secondly, is smart meters. In Illinois, 
uh, all 1.2 million of our customers have smart meters at their house. And so we can remotely uh, turn on and turn off uh, electric meter. Uh, so if you want, if you're moving today and you want your service uh, turned off at 12 o'clock, uh, you know, I, make sure you, you're moved and out by 12 o'clock because your service will go off at 12 o'clock, you know. <laughs> uh, somebody, you know, I mean, I remember the storms of 2006 when, you know, we had almost a half million customers out and people were saying, you know, that you got control to keep our lights on or off. And I was like, yeah, right, you know, because uh, we didn't at that time. But today's technology, we can remotely from our office turn on and turn off uh, in Illinois. We can turn on and turn off uh, electric service. We can actually turn off gas. We do not turn on gas service remotely, but we can monitor it remotely. So we know every 15 minutes we get a reading. Remember, you used to get the, you, you know, you we would read your meter oh, yeah. every 30 days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we can read meters now at smart meters. We re we could tell you your energy usage every 15 minutes. And in Illinois, you can actually get a program. You can log on and you can say, find out what, number one, how much energy you've used this morning. You can see what the price of that market day price of that meter is, of that, that usage that electric is called net metering. Uh, so you can track your energy usage. And that has also given us a lot of data that is in real time basis. You know, we can, if there's a storm, we usually know the lights are out often before the customer does, because we can see if any neighborhood has more than a certain number of customers that go off at the same time, we get a red flag alert. Um, one time, uh, there's been several instances in Illinois where we've actually have gotten an alert that a meter is overheating and basically sent someone out to check on it and it ended up it was a house fire. Wow. So um, that basically the meter senses heat. And so there was a, actually a heat a fire started in this person's garage and they didn't know it. And we kept getting this alarm on our meter that the meter was hot. And, and come to find out there's a fire inside the garage and it wasn't caused by the meter or anything, but the meter can pick that up. And so we've been able to actually prevent several house fires and accidents like that because we get this information and it flags, uh, if flat, a red flag comes up in our control office, our control office then dispatches uh, one of our technicians to go out and investigate such things as overheat, heated meters and those types of things. And we, so we know in real time when some of these things are happening, whereas, you know, five, eight, ten years ago, we weren't able to even, you know, we weren't able to know any of that until either you called us, someone called us, or we sent someone out to verify it. So those two pieces of technology has changed uh, the electric grid uh, tremendously. And the more we invest in that, the easier it's going to be on our customers and the, the less time it's going to take us to uh, restore power and maintain a higher quality of power to our customers in the future. So uh, the technology is changing our industry drastically and each year gets a little bit better on what we can do and, and what we know and what we can provide you as a customer about your energy usage. Final question for Richard Mark here. And Richard, we talked earlier about the safety of your employees and the people who are here in the trenches doing the real work. Let's talk a little bit about the customer, because one of the things that I know that Ameren has been very conscious of is making sure people 
are, are well informed and are, are protected, whether it's a gas line or a power line, uh, you, you can't take those things for granted. So talk a little bit about, if you will, uh, how not to assume that just because a line is down that it might not be live. That's a great point, you know, because you're right. You see any down wire, just don't walk up and pick it up because you just don't know. You know, you see sometimes on TV a wire down and it's bouncing around the ground and you can see sparks and things like that. And that does happen, but not all the time. Sometimes that wire can be laying on the ground and uh, maybe, you know, you don't see anything, but it's still energized. And, and if that insulation, uh, you know, anytime you touch that, you could you could electrocute yourself or be seriously hurt. So we just say assume any wire you see is down, call uh, call into our office at in Illinois. It's one eight hundred seven five 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 thousand, and report a down line. The same thing with gas. You know, uh, uh, this time of year you have a lot of people that are digging, uh, planting trees, and and doing landscaping, and we we find that a lot of people hit either underground uh, electric wires, underground water water lines, or gas lines. And uh, and that's another very serious thing, whether it's overhead or, you know, underground. Uh, if you hit a line, don't try to repair it. Don't touch it. Just call 911 and we'll get someone out there immediately uh, to to make that repair for for you at no cost. You, you but, know, um, I was just going to say one thing that kind of piqued my interest was. Uh, never drive over a down power line. And I know some people think, well, I got the rubber tires for insulation and this, and now I got this big old car or truck. I'm safe. That That's not always the case, is it? No, it's not. Never drive over one. And if you're um, in a car and a line falls on it, you have to be extremely careful. Do not try to exit that car uh, unless you see smoke, or uh, something that is an emergency situation. But if that line is on the car, stay in the car, try not to touch anything, and get 911 there. And, you know, we'll get people out that can remove you safely. If there is, uh, you see something in the car, the car smoking, or there's some uh, risk of the car exploding or catching on fire, and you have to get out, the important thing is that you always keep two feet on the ground. At the same time, you try to slowly exit the vehicle, place both feet on the ground exactly at the same time, and try to like bunny hop or scoot across the ground until you're safe, you know, 20, 30, 40 feet across the, uh, across the street and get away safe. If you, if you, because you don't want to become a conductor. If only mm. one feet, one of your feet, one foot's on the ground and the other one's in the air, that if there's electric current that's coming through that ground, it's going to find where the opening is and that that makes your body a conduit for the electric current. So go in one foot and then, you know, the other one's up, it's going to come out the other side. So you don't want to make yourself a, a part of that electric structure. So make sure you always keep both feet on the ground and try to bunny hop or scoot yourself without keeping your feet as close together as possible. Uh, but the best thing is to call, you know, let's get 911 out there, tell them to lying down, you're in your car, we can get, we'll have our, our, our electric uh, technicians there uh, and try to and get people out safely. But it's a very, very dangerous situation. And we encourage people to, to not get out of the car and run because that could be fatal. 
And and that that's for all the people who weren't paying attention in science class and physics class. That that answers for all those people because the people who were paying attention, they already knew that, Richard. So basically of over your one million customers, uh, probably about nine hundred and fifty five thousand probably really appreciated what you just told us on how to conduct ourselves in that situation. Just just an observation on my part. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you. You know, last year we had a 16 year old girl uh, living in central Illinois who um, who basically this happened to her a wire fell on her car and uh, and she panicked and jumped out and ran and, and survived. I mean, the, you know, the, fortunately for her, the line that fell uh, basically didn't energize the ground around her. So she was able but then later she found out what could a couple of weeks later she found out what could have happened hmm. and uh it 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 it, stu- it struck her so profoundly that she called our office and said hey here's what i did you know i, I it scared me to death and i found out what could have happened to me I want to make sure no teenager ever has this happen again. And we actually developed, uh, worked with her to develop a, a video, and we uh, are now distributing it, it in schools across the state of Illinois for driver ed classes. And it talks about what happens if a down power line falls on your car. And this girl, uh, she's one of our, our, she's a key uh, presenter in this. And she's going around to high schools throughout the state of Illinois talking about what could have happened. And uh, ironically, three of her friends uh, had this happen several weeks after it happened, several months after she did her first presentation. And basically it saved their lives. And so now she's kind of made it her life's work to go around and, and, and send this message to other teenagers. Well, I'll tell you one thing. It's it's great that somebody like that can get a second chance on life and has been so steadfast in making sure that she can possibly save another life down the road. Man, when you see those sort of things, you really have to appreciate it. And, and for you guys to get the message out is something I'm sure she owes her, her life to and, and probably saved a few other lives along the way. Yeah, it is. And I mean, I, uh, we appreciate her for, for wanting to do it and helping us get the message out to teenagers uh, across the country. All right, Richard, as always, it's great to visit with you, sir. And uh, we will be in touch. And thanks for giving us so much insight on so many different things that take place in the world of Ameren, Illinois and its customers. And hopefully they're going to be a little bit more informed and certainly a whole lot safer. Thanks to all the measures you guys are taking. Thanks to you, too, Mike. I appreciate uh, you letting me be here today.